right, take your Bibles with me to John chapter 11. John 11. Title of the message this morning is The Resurrection of Lazarus. We've been kind of trickling our way through chapter 11. So much good stuff here in this chapter. Um, time won't permit for me to touch everything that I'd like to. Um, it's a rich chapter. But today we're going to get to the, I would say, the climactic event of this chapter when Lazarus comes back from the dead, when God does his miracle here. And um, we're going to unpack that this morning. I'm going to start reading in verse number 38. If you're there this morning, your Bible say amen. Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Lose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Jesus in a graveyard. The resurrection and the life at a tomb. You know, I find it very interesting as I studied this to think about Jesus' human experience and we've talked about it a lot over the last several months in John but here we find him experiencing what you and I all at some point will experience the, the sting of death the pain of the grief of separation from a loved one and we, we learn of course throughout chapter 11 of the relationship that Jesus had with Lazarus and with his sisters, Martha and Mary. And we, we learned last time, of course, that Jesus, uh, he, he wept. He wept at the sight of those who were grieving. Uh, it also said that he groaned within himself. He had deep emotions that he was experiencing. And I'm, I just want to tell somebody this this morning, that Jesus understands what you're going through. He has chosen to go through everything that we could possibly go through so that he could be a more compassionate Savior. There is nothing that we will face in the human experience that he has not already faced. But I love to see the humanity of Jesus. We know him being deity. We know that he is God with all the prerogatives of it. But here in chapter 11, we see a lot of his heart, his humanity, as I thought about that verse, verse 35, how Jesus wept and how he had just before asked them where 
you know, where was he laid? Where where is he buried? Or and uh, it showed that he, even in his his prerogative of deity, oftentimes uh, he limited his his abilities. Not that he was not capable. Not that he did not know everything, but he limited his his ability uh, so that he can experience it. I believe in the rawest of, of forms. I believe that Jesus intentionally at times, uh, lean more on his hu- human side than on his deity, his, his, his God privilege. And it's part of what I just mentioned, that he wanted to be acquainted with our grief. He was truly God, but he was truly a man. And I see in his tears, I see a lot, I see that we shouldn't have any shame in tears. Sometimes it's just good to weep. Sometimes, you know, I was thinking about it, I said this in the earlier service, sometimes life sucks. Anybody else been there? Sometimes the human experience, it is it's just not good. <laughs> it's not a, a, a pleasurable experience at times. And, and this is what Jesus is embodying in this moment. He's, he's aware of the emotions. He sees the, 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 the effects of sin. He sees that there's a, uh, of course, there's so much that have, has played out because of sin and death ultimately. And the fear of death has been reigning unbridled since the garden. And now he's going to step into the graveyard. Now I want you to understand this was going to be a heavyweight bout, but it was going to be over in the first round. Our champion is going to give one word, a few words, and Lazarus was going to come forth. He was going to wake up. And we know ultimately he would give the death blow to death when he would go to the grave and, and taste death for you and for me. And we know the rest of the story, though, that three days later, he rose from the grave and conquered death, hell, and the devil. Amen? Right now, he's experiencing the pain, and he's, he's, he's wept. We, we see it right here at the beginning in verse 38 that he's groaning in himself as he got to the tomb. He groaned with him. Remember, that's a that's a... Emotion. He was disturbed. He was deeply moved when he came to the tomb. Now, often in that culture, tombs were made out of limestone, and uh, they're they're like a cave-like tomb, and and there was a wall that where a rock would go in front of that opening when someone would to be laid there. And I want you to see this is the case with uh, Lazarus' place of rest. Uh, he, uh, I think that him and, and his siblings, they, they had some affluence to them. It was made out of limestone. It was, it was an opening, a, a good sized tomb. No, no doubt maybe the others might be laid in the same tomb later on. And, and I, I see in the next chapter, of course, uh, Jesus is going to be there with Lazarus now alive and they're going to be enjoying a meal in their home. And their home was big enough to host all the disciples. And we're going to see, of course, that also Mary would come and anoint Jesus with a very expensive uh, perfume. And uh, so I see from, you know, just some of the things, the extravagant things that these people possess, that they have some affluence. And there's nothing wrong with having money. The problem is when money has us, right? <laughs> there's nothing wrong. I'm thankful for people who have money in, in, the, in the kingdom. I'm hoping that, you know, Elon Musk gets saved, you know? I'm hoping that we, I, I don't know, God, he's able to do things like that. And 
He always has a Joseph of Arimathea, I think, in his in his followership. And and I'm thankful for the fact that God blesses some with influence so that the work of God can go forward. And it's it's uh it's very telling, of course, that uh, Lazarus had a nice tomb to be laid in, and and so Jesus finds himself there, and the tension is at all time high. They're grieving. This is the first time Jesus would have uh, been there at the graveyard. And, and so he, the Bible says, he groaned within himself. And um, But I want you to see as he comes on the scene, he makes a command. He makes a command. Jesus' command. I want you to see what he says. Jesus says, verse 39, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Now this is an unusual command. And we're going to see there's going to be some a little light opposition to this stone being removed. Now everybody thought it was strange for him to ask this of all things. Because no one, even though Jesus had brought them in, he had brought Mary and Martha in on the fact that he was going to, uh, that their brother would live again. They, there's still nobody there who felt like it was going to happen at that moment, that it was going to happen that time, that day. And so... It seemed to be odd that he's asking to remove the stone. Now, of course, Martha, we, we, we admire her faith. I admire Martha's faith. We saw her, of course, testify of her faith in Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he is the resurrection and the life, and that he is going to, in the end, raise up everyone in Christ with, the, with, the, with just a shout of his word. And, and I just uh, I admire her faith. But here we're going to see that she gives some opposition to Jesus because she didn't understand what was going to take place. She says to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. <laughs> there is a smell. But King James says he stinketh. <laughs> How many of you guys got a teenager and you go in their room and, and you know he stinketh? <laughs> well, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days and no doubt. He'd begin to decompose. And anybody who smelled death, do I have any first responders here who have, who have had to go on a welfare check and maybe someone passed away and they'd been in there for a few days and no one knew and the neighbors begin to complain about a smell? And I'm telling you, there's no smell like death. It's, it's, it's unlike, it's unique. And I've heard this from first responders. Like, there's, there's a distinct, uh, foul, you know, just wretched, you know, scent when death is setting in. And so her objection was, was logical, but Jesus is going to gently remind her of what he promised uh, so that her faith could be restored. I want you to see verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Jesus gave a command, and what he first wanted to see is, was there any faith present? Uh, I've learned this, and you see this throughout the gospel. There must first be faith before the miraculous takes place. Before Jesus healed anyone, they would have to first take their, the step of faith to either come to him or ask for healing. Or, or the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, she just 
demonstrated her faith by trying to touch his garment. Uh, the, the paralytic who was healed when his friend's faith was, when, he, when Jesus saw their faith, when they opened the roof to come down to, to the healer, then he said, your sins are forgiven. And he says, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, stand up and walk. <laughs> Faith always precedes the miraculous. And what God is looking for, and I said this last week, but what God is attracted to in you and I is how much do we believe him? Do we truly believe that he is a miracle worker? Do we truly believe that he can bring life to that which is dead? I'm talking about someone's marriage. Your marriage may look like it's dead. But do you believe that God can breathe life into it again? I believe God is able to do what we can't comprehend. Somebody say amen. He's looking for faith. But I've noticed this, that throughout the Gospels, Jesus would not waste divine power on something that man can accommodate. He says, move away the stone. And uh, could he have not told that stone to move? Oh, study scripture. Remember when he went into uh, Jerusalem for the last time, his triumphal entry? And the people were, were crying Hosanna and putting the, the palm branches before him and worshiping him. And the people were trying to tell them to stop. And he said, if you stop them, the rocks are going to cry out. I want, I want to know what the voice of a rock sounds like. Remember, remember, remember when the devil tried to tempt Jesus to turn stone into bread, right? <laughs> There's often that parallel in Scripture of stone. And and, uh, and then Jesus said, Man shall not live up by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. I can keep going. Jesus could have told that stone to disappear. But what he was, he's setting a precedent here, and, and it's throughout the Gospels. You remember when he turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana? He first told them to fill those large pots with water. And I, I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but some of us, we're waiting for God to do something divine when we can take care of it with ordinary means. We're waiting for God to, to show up in our situation when we have to prepare an atmosphere or a place or an environment for him to show up where we have to obey him first. You understand that? Obedience always precedes blessing. Obedience is necessary for God to move in my life and in your life. And what I've seen in a lot of people are, are, in, are in bad shape spiritually because they're waiting on God to do something. And God said, I'm waiting on you to remove that. I'm waiting on you to stop that. I'm waiting on you to do what I told you to do. I'm waiting on you to obey. And then I'll show up in your situation. And then I'll bring back to life what I'll do the divine part if you do the the, the simple part. (laughs) The human part. And I don't know who I'm speaking to today. You've been waiting for your breakthrough. But there's something that God is going to show you that you need to do. So that he will move. Obedience is not optional. It's necessary. If Jesus' purpose is going to be accomplished in my life and in your life. So he doesn't waste divine. He says, take away the stone. And, uh, of course, there was that short opposition, but 
eventually they would relent to what the master commanded. The Bible says, verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. I want you to see after they do what they are commanded to do, Jesus goes into a prayer. He goes into a prayer. Now, the emphasis of his prayer we're going to see in a moment is the faith of the spectators. He, he, Jesus knew what was going to take place. He had already been told by the Father. He had already uh, you know, had all the confirmation that he would ever need. But now he's going to pray. We're going to see in this prayer that he is, of course, concerned with those around him in their faith. So he looks up to heaven, the Bible says. I want you to see. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. At the end of verse 40, 40, uh, 41. And I want you to see his posture while he prayed. He takes a traditional posture of that culture. Oftentimes the men would pray. The Pharisees were, were known to go on the street corner and pray out loud and lift their hands and for a show, honestly. Um, but of course Jesus isn't doing this in that type of spirit. He's doing it to increase the faith of those around him. And he also is showing that, of course, he has uh, the the access, the, the instant access that was not normal in that time. Okay, Do you guys understand that what we have today, the Old Testament saints wish they had? They wouldn't dare think that they could go to God at any point, any time. Do you understand that the men and women who even made copies of scriptures, scribes, and, 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 and you know, the student, the lawyers, when they would come to the name of God in the Bible, they would, they would leave it. They'd go wash up. And, and they were so careful to confess any sin in their life and, and then to come back and, and just even to write out the name of God was a, was a delicate, sacred thing to them. But you know, because of what Jesus has done, we can go into him and like, like daddy. My kids, they don't, they don't care if you're taking a shower. They'll burst in the room. You have to lock the door. They don't care if you're, you're in the bathroom relieving yourself. They come whenever they want. <laughs> Anybody experience that? <laughs> they have access, right? You and I, we have access to. It's not to, not to be frivolous with it, not to be you know, just cavalier when you come to God. I'm not saying that, but you and I have access because of what Jesus has done. Because we are believer priests. We are in Christ. And so when we go to God, we can go to him. And this is what Jesus is modeling. He, he lifted and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. This is a done deal already. <laughs> Jesus was confident in his relationship with God the Father. We know that they had a relationship. They were one from eternity past. That They had always had communion in the Godhead. And so Jesus is coming in and he's expressing this in front of a crowd. I think this is probably the first time where he did that in such a public way. You see, often he'd go away privately to talk to the Father. He often would spend time, you know, in solitude with the Father and talk to Him this way. But in this instance, he chose to strengthen the faith of those who were there to show them, uh, give them a glimpse into that relationship. So the public nature of his prayer was for the sake of those around him. It was for Mary. It was for Martha. It was for the other people who were standing by. I wonder if I had a peek into 
your prayer life and you into mine, would we see intimacy? Would we see a strong relationship, a growing relationship? Hey, I'd be the first to admit I have a long way to go when it comes to my prayer life. But I want to tell you what, we should be striving for a stronger, deeper, more meaningful prayer life. What some of you need to do is to find a quiet hour, a quiet place, and a quiet heart, like we hear from our pastor. Turn it all off. And for those of us with kids, you know that usually means in the wee hours in the morning. (laughs) Before they get up. (laughs) But I'm telling you, you will never regret. I've never regret a time when I prioritized prayer. You know, the devil fights that more than anything in my life. Because that's where the power lies. That's where the, the unction comes from. That's where the fruit will really show in my life and in the ministry. I'm telling you, that's where you and I should be emphasizing because that's what God tells us to emphasize. But I want you to see Jesus. He's, he's praying. He's, he's displaying that relationship. I'm so glad that we don't have dead religion, but we serve a God where we are able to have relationship with him, intimacy with him. And uh, it's, it's unlike anything else in the world that God would want to hear from me, that God would want to speak to me. Because, you know, oftentimes in prayer, you know, you just need to wait on him. Don't just run your mouth all the time when you pray. You know, so I think that's what we do sometimes. Quiet heart. God, speak to me. Have worship going or something, you know, just, God, speak to me. Pour into me. I need I need you. <laughs> I need more of you. And Jesus had that relationship. He had a perfect relationship with God. But I want to see, he continues to pray. He says, Father, I know, I know, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. He requests that God display this power that he, he already was going to so that they would believe. Now, we remember that the, the, the theme for the Gospel of John is so that we may believe. It's for, it's for faith, saving faith to be birthed in the heart of all who read uh, this letter. And I want to encourage us. I said it a moment ago, God is attracted to one thing in, in my life and your life is our faith. Our walk with him, our belief on him, and, and that's what he's looking for. That faith would be born in us. And I'm telling you, faith is something that we have to steward and, and be mindful of in our own lives and, and take account of, am I living a life of faith? Does my existence point to the fact that I believe that there's a God in heaven, that I believe that there's one day where I will stand before that God and give an account of my life. Does my life speak to the fact that I truly, in my heart of hearts, believe that? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Because faith without works is dead. (laughs) If your faith is just here and never comes here and to these feet eventually, these hands, then I, I, I do an inventory of my faith. And uh, so Jesus is, he's praying out loud. He's doing it for those who are around him. But I want to see Jesus is going to call Lazarus from the dead after this prayer. Look, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I want you to notice he cried 
with a loud voice. He shouted those three words. I believe it was, as one of the commentaries I, I read this week, it was a loud, decisive tone of authority. You've heard me say this many times, that if Jesus would not have been very specific and said Lazarus' name, if he would have just said, come forth, every dead body would have obeyed his voice. They would have got up. And he alluded to this in John chapter 5. He had said it. He says that there will come a time when all who were in the, their graves will hear his voice and, and they will get up. You guys know there's going to be a resurrection even for those who are lost. Everyone must stand and give an account before God. The Bible talks about it, Revelation. It says, I saw death and hell and those that were in it. And they were brought out and they stood before a white throne, the great white throne judgment. And they were judged out of the books. And whoever's name was not found written in the book of life, they were cast out into the lake of fire. Death and hell well, one day, those who died, and it says those that are in the sea, those who died at, in shipwrecks, those who died, you know, in other accidents and other things of that, all, every human that ever graced this world will stand before God. Either one or two judgments, the great, the great right throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm thankful because of Jesus, because of my relationship with him, I won't be at that great right throne judgment. Because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says in Revelation, there is a book called the Lamb's book of life. That all who receive Christ, who receive the Lamb, who is worthy to be praised, who receive him, their name is written down in there. And that's the role of heaven. No one who is not in that book will, will enter into heaven. This is what scripture teaches. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Is your name written down? In Bible college, we just sing this, this song. It's like, there's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And we would talk about that. We sing that when someone would give their heart to Christ. And, and you know, I, I, my heartbeat, like that song says, what God has really done in my life, and always been uh, one of the things that I pray for, is for souls, dry, dead sinners would be brought to Christ and saved, given new life, and their names written down in that book, the Lamb's Book of Life. I don't know who that's for, but if you're here today and you don't have that assurance, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it because the Bible is God's Word. It is true. It is the way that we know how to have relationship with Him. And it's only through Christ. Only through that relationship. But Jesus calls Lazarus forth. He, he, he yells it out in powerful authority. And the Bible says, And he who had died came out. Came out. Jesus plundered the grave. <laughs> he, he won the victory. Now, I read this week that Lazarus wasn't technically resurrected. Now, you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? He was. No. no. You see, when Lazarus came out of the grave, he still had the grave clothes on him, right? I, I would say technically he was resuscitated. He, he was dead, 
But can you imagine Lazarus? He had spent those three or four days in paradise. And Jesus called his name and he's back in his body. And you can imagine like, what's going on here? He wasn't happy, I bet. But let me tell you, when Jesus resurrected from the grave, where did he leave his grave clothes? He left it in the, in the tomb. He'd never need them again. Lazarus would need grave clothes later on. He would die again. Isn't that, that seems like a bad deal, right? Lazarus had to taste death twice so that I could preach this message. <laughs> but he was brought back to life. We know ultimately Jesus would win the victory over the grave after he would die sacrificially for my sin and for your sin on the cross. Three days he would spend in the grave or, or, or dead. He was, of course, we talked about it. He was in, I believe, Abraham's bosom. He was there with the, the saints of the Old Testament. I talked about this before. We are saved looking back to the cross, right? We look back 2,000 years. But those in the Old Testament were saved looking forward to the coming Messiah, the one who would take away their sin and give them entrance into heaven. That's why when Jesus died, you remember, there were people who got out the grave that day. Those are some of those Old Testament saints that got out. And and they went somewhere. I think they went with him. He took them with him to that revival meeting. I believe Jesus preached for those three days. The Bible says he led captivity captive. He was there with them. And, and he said, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I've accomplished. I'm Abraham's seed. I'm David's root and branch. I'm the lion of the tribe of, of Judah. And I have won the victory over death and hell. Come with me now into your ultimate rest, which is heaven. Anybody looking forward to heaven? I sat with a man who buried his son last year and and as I said, sometimes life just is, is it's terrible. He began to just describe how he's working through that and God is giving him grace, but there are days when that feel better than others. There are days when he doesn't want to be around anybody. There are days where he he, he just doesn't want to leave the house. And anybody who's ever been there, they, you understand. And uh, I remember when his son passed away, I was there. And, and uh, the only thing I could think to say was remember that there is heaven. Remember that there is hope for us who are in Christ. And... Um, Oh, heaven's going to be more than we can comprehend. I was thinking about it this week. You know, we've seen the movies that display heaven as, you know, we're on these clouds and we're kind of bored because we're just like playing with the clouds and like playing harps and, you know, <laughs> little angel wings flying, you know, here or there. But heaven isn't going to be like that. You read scripture. First of all, we're going to start off heaven with some of us. Some of us we are going to go, of course, ahead of time. We're going to start off with that feast, that marriage supper of the Lamb. I think it's going to be an extended feasting. It's like a wedding. In those days, they would sometimes party for weeks, <laughs> depending on the wealth of the family. And our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, boy. And, and a, what, is, what is it? Uh, a day with the Lord is like 10,000 here. I think we're going to have a big party with food, too. <laughs> Listen to me. You think that you're going to check in all your senses when you get to heaven? When you get that glorified body, it won't be able to taste, touch, smell, 
hear, see. No, we're going to have all those senses, I truly believe. We're going to have uh, ways to utilize those senses. We're not going to be married anymore, so enjoy your spouse while you can, okay? You're going to know you were married to your spouse, and and I, you know, I don't know how this is going to all work out, but some of you are going to be glad. <laughs> I did my sentence. I'm, I'm, I'm free now. Not me. <laughs> but there's no sorrow in heaven. So however God's going to work it out, it's going to work out, right? <laughs> we're going to be like the angels, not given to marriage. And, but we're going to enjoy heaven. Heaven is better than everything we have here. I'm just going to tell you all that. We have something to look forward to. So I can imagine Lazarus was a little perturbed when he got called back. However, you know, we see that it took place. God had a plan in it. He would be glorified through it. And no doubt Jesus was glorified through this miracle. Now, some of the commentaries that I read said that more than likely, when Jesus called Lazarus, that he floated out of that tomb because he was tightly bound and wrapped probably very thickly in grave clothes. His face was covered, the Bible says. And I imagine that that's probably what took place. He just kind of... <laughs> Could you imagine? And, and I think this is why the shock value is even higher because... Jesus had to say, hey guys, take, take the clothes off of his face. Uh, hey guys, pick your jaws up for a moment and take the clothes off of him. He had to say, loose him and let him go, y'all. And Because uh, <laughs> there was shock. I imagine there were women that fainted. I imagine that <laughs> the big, strong you know, guy who was there was just, just weak in the knees for a moment. I, I imagine that the, at the sight of his miraculous power, uh, there was there was awe and wonder. Oh my goodness! Don't we serve an awesome God? And and let me tell you, His Majesty and His power is beyond what we can comprehend. And one day, our faith will be sight. Don't you look forward to that? One day, my faith will be sight. One day, I will see my loved ones who's gone on into eternity. One day, I will see Him in all of His glory on the throne of heaven. One day, my faith will be sight. And one day, your faith will be sight too. Amen. Truth is, we all parallel Lazarus. I am Lazarus. I was once dead in my sin. Decaying, the walking dead, is what I was and what you were. The Bible is clear that all who are lost, who are apart from God, are spiritually dead. Oh, you've heard it said that Jesus didn't come to make bad men good, but he came to make dead men live. The truth is we are dead in our trespasses and sin on our way to a Christless hell. But then Jesus called my name. Then Jesus called your name. Do you remember? Oh, has it been too long? Or you, or you got over it? It doesn't excite you anymore. 
that Jesus called your name. Maybe you're a little child. Oh, maybe you were five or six years old in Sunday school and the final graph teacher told you about the healer. He told you about the Savior and you called on his name. Oh, don't despise that. Oh, oh, my prayer is that every one of these babies we dedicate, every one of my kids, that they will get saved at an early ripe age. The statistics show that those who are saved at an early ripe age, they, they don't depart. Do you remember when he called your name? Maybe you were 40 years old. I was thinking about Kevin back there. I'm looking at you, Kevin. Not, not to put you on the spot, but I've seen him weep tears when he talks about his salvation experience. He was 40-something years old, I believe. Am I correct? Uh, when you got saved, and he was a prideful man. He, was, he, he had not lived a life that brought glory to God, but God saved him. And now he has a heart for him. And now he points others to him. Now he's serving God. I'm telling you, have you forgotten? God, when Jesus called your name, don't ever get over that. Because we were dead in our sin. Then Jesus, like Lazarus, Jesus raised us from the dead by the power of his word. And all who trust in Christ, all who trust in him, he gave new life. He's given us new life. He's brought us out of the graveyard of sin and he set us free. Oh, the grave clothes bound Lazarus, but Jesus spoke the word and he said, let him loose. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I want to tell somebody, you walked in and you, you've been slowly but surely putting your grave clothes back on. I want to tell you this morning, you don't have to live in the death and the decay of the old man. You don't have to be bound by the same sin that you walked in here today with. You can be let loose today in Jesus' name. You can call out to him and he will set you free. I promise you, I've seen it. I've experienced it. My friends, we've got to get back to believing him. You and I, we, we were Lazarus. <laughs> Maybe you're here today and you're still still away from God, don't have a relationship with Him. Oh, wouldn't it be glorious today if He called your name? He's calling your name. Every time that the gospel is preached, He's speaking. You want to know, I've heard it so many times. God told me today, came up here and just gave me a big hug and, and just cried. He said, God was speaking to me today. Every time the Word of God is preached and the power of the Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit is talking on the inside. There's a burn I can't really express to you when I know the Holy Spirit is taking over. And I know where He's going to, He's having me say things that I didn't put down in my notes. I'm not this intelligent, I promise you. I promise you. Get around me long enough, you'd realize, oh, he does call the simple things. <laughs> yes, he does. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm so utterly dependent upon him. So are you. If you understood, <laughs> truthfully, we all were Lazarus. Maybe today you need to open your heart to him. So this is a miraculous event. Jesus bringing life where there had only been death. But I want you to see there's a response here. There's, there's usually two responses to Jesus. Either we bow before him and, and, and 
accept him as our Lord and our Savior, or we reject. And this is what takes place here. Look at verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Oh, I'm so thankful that there are still people today who are believing on him. And as I talked about last week, this word believe, it had a a heavier connotation than what we can understand in our language. It it meant to place all your hope, all your, your faith on the person of Jesus Christ. It's not just, not just acknowledging that Jesus is who he says he is. It is more than just that. It, it, it's, it's not just a head knowledge. It's to the heart. It's placing everything on him and what he's finished on the cross. You understand for a Jew, this would have been uh, radical for them to turn their faith to a person. They had always been the people of God. They had always had the sacrificial system and the and the, the, the feasts and all the other religious activities and they were awaiting the coming Messiah. But for a Christ for a Jew to turn to Christ and say, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the, the one whom God promised would come and to place their faith in him it came at a stiff cost. You understand that? They would have been alienated from their family. They would have lost their jobs. They would not be, it wouldn't be accepted in their culture. Probably it would be a, 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 a stigma on them more than a blessing. And we're coming up in days in this country where being a Christian is going to be more looked at as a negative thing than a positive. And we should be willing to. I don't sugarcoat what it means to trust Christ. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be great in your life. Your life probably will get more difficult. But what you have waiting for you on the other side of this life far outweighs anything we'll struggle with in this life. And I I promise you I'll turn my back on anything or anyone for Christ's sake because uh, he is far more worthy. He is the only one who died for me. He is the only one who shed his blood for me. He's the only one who loves me uh, like like he loves me. And I'm telling you, this is why we've got to just just. Just live in this. There are many who believe in him. That excites me. People being saved. But I want to see verse 46. There are those who rejected. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. They became informers or informants. (laughs) They were so close to salvation. Yet there's no evidence that they believed. I've learned this. If the heart will not yield to truth, then the grace of God will not bring salvation. And um, you and I have seen people like this who they're so close. But they don't take that final step of acceptance in Christ. And and, um, it's sad. It's Truthfully, one of the most sad things you see in Scripture. They went away and they told Jesus' adversaries, Hey, look what he's doing. Hey, you better get a hold of him. He, he's, he's, he's getting out of pocket now. He's raising people from the dead. And this is a, a sign of perdition on their side, on their end. You know, don't be mad when people hate your Jesus. Pray for them. Oh, pray for them. Don't be mad. Don't, 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 don't allow it to, 
cause you to do what the disciples tried to do? Like, <laughs> Lord, rain down fire from heaven on them. Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of right now. Pray for them. Because the God of this world, he doesn't take a day off. And he, the Bible says that he is blinding the mind of those who believe not. And only God can break that. And uh, I, I just don't understand how they could see the same miracle and have two different responses. It just speaks to the heart. And uh, we've seen it here at this church. People who come in here and they, some hear the message and they, they love it and they, you know, they grow. And some hear the message and they hate it. They hate us. And uh, there's there's Facebook pages for our pastor, our pastor and you know, he sends these things. I'm like, who has time for that? If you don't like the guy, that's one thing. That's fine. But you have to take it to another level and, and, and just bash. And that's just demonic. I'm going to tell you this. Oh, I'm glad the devil doesn't like me. I'm glad I got a, a YouTube stripe. I'm, I'm glad. Like, I'm doing something now. I'm on the devil's radar. Pray for me. <laughs> but I promise, Pastor, I'll try to behave for 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 a few weeks until he gets back. He can get the last strike. I don't want to get the last strike because <laughs> you know he's gonna get the last strike. Right? <laughs> he's gonna preach it, you know, unapologetically, and I'm thankful for him. Jesus, he's a dividing figure. And people are going to fall on one on either side of that thing. There's no in between. And broad is the road of destruction. The devil does not care how he gets us, how he gets a person into hell. He doesn't care if it's religion. He doesn't care if it's worldliness, carnality. He doesn't care if it's uh, whatever it is that distracts you from Jesus or, or turns you away from Jesus. He doesn't care what he uses to accomplish that. Uh, but I'm telling you, the way to Eternal life is through one figure. His name is Jesus. It's very narrow. I know what I'm preaching is very narrow. I've been called everything from narrow-minded to 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 a Neanderthal to you, you name it. I don't care. I'm telling you, Jesus has always been and will always be the only Savior of the world. Take it or leave it. So this morning. We've got to remember that, you know, this life is, is but a vapor. We talked about it on, on Wednesday. And all we are doing is preparing for eternity. You know you were made by Him and for Him. And your end will soon come and we will stand before Him. Christian, let that sit on you for a while. Let it sit on me for a while. Our lives will be reckoned for. I'm thankful that I, when I stand before Jesus, it won't be to give, give an answer for my sin, because He's dealt with it already on the cross. But I will give an account for my life and how I lived it thereafter, my salvation. And, and uh, maybe you're here today and you don't have the assurance that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to encourage you to call on Him today. The Bible is clear that any who call on His name Whosoever the Bible says in the old, in, in the uh, King James and other versions, whosoever 
will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. That's not a maybe so or if you haven't done this then or if this. No. Whosoever. I love it when I see whosoever in the Bible in a good context. But I said earlier, whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be cast out. So that whosoever could be beautiful in the right context, but it could be terrifying in the, in the other context. And if you're in this context this morning where you don't have the assurance of salvation, I want to encourage you to call on Jesus. There'll be men and women in the prayer room afterwards who'd love to pray with you, who'd love to show you how you can receive Christ. 